and I always say that it's easy to fake something when you're awake, but when you go to sleep, you can't fake it, man. Those things, those things, those thoughts are coming back. What's up, tribe? Welcome back to the podcast that brings you closer to the world's biggest risk takers and enemies of the status quo. This podcast is for people who want to take the plunge in life, but need a little nudge. Now, the man I'm bringing to you today is Chris Singleton. When Dylan Roof walked into the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church on June the 17th, 2015, he killed nine parishioners. And one of those victims was the mother of our guest today, Chris Singleton. Just one day after that shooting, Chris walked onto the baseball diamond in his hometown and gave a speech that would reverberate across the world. Let me just give you one quote from that speech. Love is always stronger than hate. I was fortunate to get the opportunity to sit down with Chris before he set off for spring training camp. Chris is in the minor league baseball system for the Chicago Cubs. The words you are about to hear are a message of love, empathy, and forgiveness. Let's welcome to the tribe, Chris Singleton. Welcome, welcome. So welcome to a live recording of a tribe called Yes. This is the podcast that brings you closer to the biggest risk takers and enemies of the status quo. And we are fortunate to have Chris Singleton who has flown into multiple cities to make it here today. Uh, the reviews from his keynote speech across campus have been rippling over here in the AT&T, so we're happy to have him. Welcome to the University of Texas. Y'all give Chris Singleton a hand. All right, Chris, you're a minor league baseball player, but most of the world knows you as the son of Sharonda. And I want you to take us back to that moment when you found out about the heinous act that claimed her life. Yeah, as I, as I said earlier today with the MLK um, luncheon, I was sitting in a chair in a big room, and I'd already been told my mother got shot, but I wasn't told anything else at the time. And I was sitting in a big room, a lot of commotion was going on, and a coroner came up to me and she said, well, can you describe your mother? When she told me this, I'm like, okay, well, I'm thinking my mom got shot in the leg or something, and you, you tell me to describe my mom. Like, you can't even tell me who she is anymore. So uh, a lot of emotions were going. I said, you know, she's 5'9". She's got short, dark brown, curly hair. Um, she's always smiling. She wore a suit this morning when she left the house, and uh, that's when she proceeded to, to touch me on my shoulder, and she said, Chris, I'm sorry to tell you, but your mother's been shot and killed tonight when she attended Bible study. So, so let's be clear, the, the act by Dylan Roof was one of domestic terrorism. I'm saying that, you don't have to say it, domestic terrorism. Um, but we've seen the after effects and we can go from the flag coming down, um, also rippling over even to the University of Texas. Talk about the way that you viewed what was happening on a global scale as you were there in, in Charleston. Yeah, at the time, I didn't think it was, uh, I didn't think it would be that big of a thing. I mean, uh, afterwards, I had a pre little small press conference, and they asked me a bunch of questions, and I answered a bunch of questions, and I said that love is always stronger than hate. And after I said I forgive the man for doing what he did, 
I said love is always stronger than hate. I didn't know it was gonna blow up like it did. Like that 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 night, I got like fifty thousand uh, impressions on my Twitter. My Twitter was blowing up. Everything was going crazy, and I didn't know it was gonna be that big of a deal until ESPN called me and said, "Hey, man, we want to do a story on you and your mom." And that's when I knew that what I said and what we did as a city was gonna be global. How does a man get to that point? I mean, you made that speech on the baseball field, and for those of you who haven't seen it, um, there's, a, there's an ESPN special that Chris is alluding to where. 24 hours, right, from the moment you're standing on the baseball field and you make this compelling speech and you acknowledge that you have forgiven Dylan Roof. How does, how does a person get to that moment? Like, what is that inner struggle? What does that inner man deal with in order to come to this place of forgiveness? Yeah, at the, at the time, I always say that I thought my mom was speaking through me, but... Um, I then later on realized, I'm not going to preach, but I realized God was using it. It's okay. That People have been preaching here for the last two days. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My dad's a Baptist minister. This is where I need to be. In the same space. No. <laughs> yeah, I realized that God was using me in that time. And I told a story earlier today at the luncheon about a scripture that was given to me. And I want to share that with you guys today. And it, I was playing, I was playing uh, baseball my freshman year. And I was uh, on the bus headed to my Clemson University. We were playing Clemson. And we were a mid-major school, so we got to play the, the, the big schools a couple times out of the year. So, you know, I'm listening to my music, trying to get, trying to get jacked up. You know, you know how us athletes do. We, we got a vibe before we get in there. But I was doing that, and I saw one of my buddies writing a scripture on his wrist. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw him doing this, and I said, you know what? Maybe I'm going to write a scripture on my, on my wrist, and I'm going to get blessed with a couple of hits. Maybe a good game. <laughs> you know, we all do that so much. You know, we, we, we think that this guy's going to be Santa Claus for us. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if we ask for this, he's going to give it to us no matter what. Right. But uh, I, I looked at him, write a scripture and I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. So I looked up a scripture and I, I was given the scripture, Proverbs 24, 10. If a man falters in the day of adversity, hmm. he's a man of little strength. Hmm. So I saw that and I put that on my, my glove, my bat, my, my helmet. I put it on everywhere and I had the game of my life. And we beat Clemson University. Right. So everything I asked for, everything I prayed for, I got. Of course, I, I use that scripture on my wrist every single game after that, right? <laughs> of course I did. I put it, you know how superstitious we are as athletes. We, I put it on my glove. I put it on my bat. I put it on my helmet. I put it everywhere. But then I realized June 17th that, that was, I was given that scripture for my mother was murdered. It wasn't for baseball at all. Hmm. You, you talk about um, forgiveness and empathy. And I'm, I'm the father of five kids from, from seven years old to seven months. So y'all pray for me in a second. <laughs> I'll send prayers up incessantly. Um, but I can imagine that some of your family members have not agreed with this approach and this road that you've taken. Can you talk about some of the, the, uh, the negative responses or just the responses of not being able to understand how you could come to this? Yeah, and that's that's real, you know. Not everybody's going to be able to forgive the way you forgive. Not everybody's going to be be able to do it instantly, almost instantly. And uh, it makes me think about some family mem- family members of my life that they don't come out and say, "Man, hey, like like, how could you do?" No, they they don't say it like that. You know, they don't try to scrutinize me. But what they do is, they'll sub they'll they'll, they'll be like, "Really? Like, did you really forgive him?" So you really feel that way. Hmm. Okay, and when they do little things like that, I know they may not feel the same way I feel in my heart. So that's that's one thing that w- that would happen uh, when, when when we talk about forgiveness. Not everybody's going to forgive immediately. Not everybody's going to forgive at all. Mm-hmm. I push them to do that because it's like a weight has been lifted off your shoulders once you do. But everybody's not not built that way. Mm-hmm. Now you've been traveling the world 
carrying this message of forgiveness and empathy. And, and I always like to think of empathy as this ability to take the perspective of someone else. What have you found among athletes as you've sat down with them? You've been in locker rooms, you've been, you know, on the main stage. How have they responded to your message? Um, well, well, first of all, after after it happened, I, I turned right back to my sport because so many athletes, you know, we go through things in our lives and we use our sport as our getaway. Right. Mm. We use we use you know, we have things going at home. We may use football as our getaway to get some of the pain out or we, we use we use whatever whatever's going at home. We use that to fuel us as we're as we're on the field, on the court, or wherever. So they could understand how I, how I went back to my sport. They may not be understand the forgiveness, but when I relate it back to me playing playing baseball and playing sports and going back to do what I do, and now I have a different drive for when I play, they understand that completely. Hmm. This message that you take, I want to talk about the book now. Tell us about what the story, the driving motivation behind the book, and the impact that you see that it will have. Yeah, so I'm I'm writing a I'm starting to write a book right now, and and what what it is is it's like an insurance policy for people when whenever they they have something so terrible in their lives going on, this is a book they can turn to, right? And it's something that like I said, insurance. So I hope you never have to use it, but just in case, I want you to, I want you to have it, so so you know where to turn if it does happen, because we we all know sudden death is real, like murder is real. Like, like d- disease is real. So all that stuff is real. So when you think you have nowhere to turn to, the way I felt when I was going, when I was 18 years old, you can, you can turn in this book and you can have some inspiration. Hmm. Tell us this. Um, 2018, a lot of things have changed over the last three years uh, from a leadership perspective. And I'll be honest with you in that I've, I found 2017 for me, a lot of it was ridden with cynicism. When you look at the political structure, where our country is headed, what is your outlook for the United States? Yeah, and uh, anytime somebody talks to me about politics, I always say that it's it's there's always going to be top dogs that don't that disagree with what we believe in, right? But it's up to us at the bottom. You know, we don't have to. We don't. The president doesn't have to love other people the way we love other people, right? Hmm. You know, the governor that we elect doesn't have to love somebody the way we love somebody. They don't have to feel the same way we feel, but it's up to us as a people to spread it within, within, within ourselves, you know what I mean? Hmm. So anybody, anytime somebody asks me, you know, how, how I feel about this or how I feel, feel about that up top, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm at the bottom trying to spread love, spread life at the bottom, man. Every, everything up top, they may be in the headlines, but I'm, I'm down here trying to work with people. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, your message sounds like Tommy Harris talked about earlier, you know, being there, uh, Bread, crumbs, beggar. beggar, beggar, right? Showing, showing folks where the breadcrumbs are. And he talked about sharing, like sharing that message. Looking forward for you, what are ways that you want to use your platform? Like what, what do you see your platform being able to accomplish? Uh, first and foremost, I want to say that I want to be able to go to so many different churches to, to talk to youth. I want to be able to speak in high schools. I want to speak in businesses. And, and I don't just want to speak about, you know, me overcoming what I had to, had to go through. I want to speak about the everyday things that, that we never talk about. But uh, another thing that, I, that, I've, that I've done is I've created a brand called Love Your Neighbor Brand. And uh, so many people, they, they came up to me and they say, Chris, man, I want to do this. I want to do that. I just don't know what somebody else is going to think about the way I do it. You know, like I had a kid, you know, message me and I try to respond to all the messages that I get. And he said, man, I want to do this inspirational thing, right? I just don't know if anybody's going to listen. I'm like, dude, if one person listens, if one person is, is contemplating doing something terrible and they listen, they stop, then you've, you've done what you needed to do, right? So uh, 
with, with me in the future. I just want to keep keep pushing people to, 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 to be the best person they can be. Keep pushing people to inspire others. You don't have to be some top dog to inspire somebody, right? You can be an everyday person and you say the right thing to the right person. You change your life forever. And again, that program is Love Your Neighbor. Love Your Neighbor, yeah. Love Your Neighbor. Family. So you have two siblings. Brother and sister. How has your relationship changed over the past couple of years? Um, honestly, when everything happened with my mom, like I, I had to, I put up a, a facade of being so strong because I wanted to be so strong for my brother and sister, right? But um, I think we got closer as I, as I took that down and they realized that I'm just like them when I cried, when I, when I did all these other things, when it happened to our mother. But um, I, they just, they actually live with me now. So it's great whenever I'm back home not playing ball, they live with me and my fiance, my little one. So they, they, they live with me now, which has been amazing. And uh, anytime something happens in your family, like tragedy, the family that you have, you get so much more close because you're like, man, I, I, know, I know how quick something can change in an instance. So, so after that happens, your other family becomes so much closer. So they, they've gotten so much closer to me. Now, we've talked about you know, some of your reviews on social media. And I know in our previous conversations, you talked about how sometimes we're so wrapped up in our phones and that, that meaningful human interaction doesn't take place. Can you talk on this in 2018? I, I, I always think about driving across campus. I mean, people are lost in the iPhone screen, and I've almost hit about you know, 15 folks. But it seems like you know, we spend so much of our lives in these screens that to have a meaningful interaction one-on-one with someone is this major feat. Talk about that distance and how yeah, we can show uh, it. We all struggle with it, right? We all struggle with it, being on our phones all the time, waking up, checking email immediately, right? And I, I told me and my fiance, I'm trying to do this for the first hour of the day. We don't we don't check our phones at all. Right. Hmm. And it's tough because that, that's the time where you feel, well, I'm supposed to spend with the Lord. I'm supposed to read my Bible. I'm supposed to meditate, all that good stuff. And it's tough because you're like, man, I, I forgot to do this yesterday. Let me do it right now. But then that, that first hour of the day, they say that that uh, um, all most billionaires in the world. Right. They read for at least 30 minutes a day. You could be like, man, well, they got time, right? They, they got, well, they make, they, they, they make time for it, though, okay? They make, they make time for it. So I've tried to make time to uh, get off my phone. And, it, and, it's, and it's tough because I, even, even my little brother, right, he's always in his computer. Like, all day long, he's playing computer games. I'm like, dude, one day you're going to have to talk to somebody. You ain't going to know how to talk to nobody, man. <laughs> so it's something we, we all struggle with um, right now. Tell us this. You... Um you're here now in February. You'll report from minicamp. Correct. And you got the call that, that you were headed to the Cubs while you were cleaning a pool. Yeah. Talk about this. Yeah. So uh, me and my buddy, we play high school ball together, right? And uh, he, he worked at a pool company. He started cleaning pools. And I said, you know what? I'm going to buy into this business. I ended up giving him 10 grand and I bought half the business. So now I own the more, more clean pools as a business. So I was working as I was in college. I was waking up at like 5 a.m. cleaning pools and make some extra money. But um, I was cleaning the pool when I got the call that I was getting drafted. You know, of course, I, I, thought, I, was getting, I was, thought I was getting the call that day. But, you know, when, you, when you're anxious, you want to just go about your day doing everything like you would have been doing. So I was uh, in the middle of cleaning the pool when they called me and said, hey, man, we just drafted you. What are you looking forward to the most? Uh, in the future, yeah. baseball wise or speaking wise, baseball wise, baseball wise, um, 
Well, there's something about being a professional athlete, whether you do really, really good or whether you do really, really bad when a kid comes up to you and asks you to sign, you know, his thing. And you're like, wow, man, this kid doesn't know I just had the worst game. You, get. <laughs> you know what I mean? He don't know how bad I just played. Didn't work that day. <laughs> no, no, he said, you know, he don't know how bad I just did. But he's asking me for my autograph. Like, there's no there's no better feeling than, than signing an autograph for a little kid that's asking for it. I'll circle back. We're going to give the audience an opportunity to ask questions. If anyone has a question for Chris. We're shy today. You got one? Hi, Chris. Andrew hey. Burnett. Uh, just a quick question. Can you speak a little bit about the RBI initiative that's happening through the MLB and what that means for communities of color? Oh, I think that's amazing. I think that's amazing. Uh, we actually had it in Charleston. I didn't even know what it Well, my hometown is Charleston, South Carolina. But um, I didn't even know what it was when I was growing up. Like, we need to... I feel like we need to, you know, endorse it more. You know, I know that it costs money, but me growing up as a black baseball player, there's, I'm, I was living in Atlanta, Georgia, and there was a lot of us, right? I moved to Charleston, South Carolina. I was the only brother on the team, right? It was a culture shock. So I think, I think that is huge for us to, 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 to really endorse that and let people know that, yeah, black kids are playing baseball. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, how are you doing? Um, I'm a victim of some done violence on the college campus where some guys on campus shot at some of our teammates, paralyzed my, you know, my friend and a whole bunch of other things. Can you speak to the emotional and mental um, instability or stability after a tragic incident when it comes to you playing sports and how you approach the game or approach life after uh, something tragic like that happens? Yeah, I'm going to tell you guys some personal story about my life. Whenever my, my mother was murdered, after I would have these bad dreams, and I would have these bad dreams because my father has been an alcoholic my whole life, right? So, so my father was in the hospital, and I would have these bad dreams that my mother was dying, and as she, I was holding her as she had been shot, and she, she was about to pass, right? So she would look away, and as she, after she looked away, I would turn her head back, and my father would appear, right? And he would be dead. So, so I'm telling you that, that when, I, when I say that, I mean that, you know, the psychological part of stuff, PTSD, that stuff is real, man. And, it, and if you don't either get help or you, well, I did with what I, I prayed about it. But if you don't get help or pray about it, then, then it's going to consume you, man. And, and I always say that it's easy to fake something when you're awake. But when you go to sleep, you can't fake it, man. Those, thing, those things, those thoughts are coming back. Hmm. Yeah, uh, just a few questions ago, um, yeah, they talked about, like, like you, you mentioned it, like, there's a baseball. Could you speak to... Like the state of Major League Baseball, baseball in general, as it relates to black players, and what's the trajectory we're on with that um, in terms of, in terms of like playing baseball? Yeah, we have people in in the MLB that actually work with minorities, but it's uh it's tough because baseball is such an expensive sport, right? Basketball, all you gotta do is lace up your shoes and you got a ball and you go out to the park somewhere, right? But baseball, you need you need guys to to throw to you. You need you need bats that cost money. You need gloves that cost money, so it's tough. But um, they, they actually do have people like that. In my in my hometown, we have something called the Sandlot that I just became a person that's uh, endorsing that. Um, actually, when I get back in Charleston, I'm having a meeting about that. But it's basically just 
just throwing, like, you know how we, we, we play basketball, we just throw a ball out there, we give them shoes, we give them whatever they need, they just go play. So what we're doing is we're, ha we're getting bats, we uh, just had a field made, all we're going to do is have some gloves, you know, get some tennis balls, just get it started, just to get that thought in their minds. Because a lot of, a lot, a lot of times people don't even have, give baseball a chance in their minds, right? They're like, man, I'm about to go to the NFL, I'm about to go to the NBA, I'm going to do my thing. I'm like, dude, you got an MLB too now, come on now. <laughs> and y'all make a lot more money, by the way. <laughs> oh, no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's what uh that's what we're doing in my hometown. Hi, I'm Jordan over here. I see. Um I was just wondering if um you're doing anything to advocate for um gun control um to hopefully prevent um further tragedies. Yeah, that that's huge. And um the reason why it's big is is not only because of the things that happen, but um I wanted to head out to the shooting that was in Texas, but I wasn't able to because I wasn't getting get, been able to get a flight. My pastor actually flew out here though, and me and him sat down and we talked about how 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 we're going to make a difference, right? Because it's tough, as as I said, it's tough for us little people on the ground when there's so many big people with with money that that generate all the laws and stuff, you know. But um, me and him were just sitting there talking, and the only thing we can do right now is we can try to raise awareness. Right. We, we can talk so much that somebody somebody that, that, that has the initiative to, to change it can say, hey, you know what, man, I'm seeing enough of this. Now, we probably got to do something about it. Right. So that's that's all I've been able to do so far. But um, I think that's a, that's a key in a lot of things. Chris, okay. uh, thank you for sharing your story and you know, your vulnerability and openness is truly inspirational. So thank you. Um, as a former athlete and someone who's also vocal about their faith, what has your experience been like uh, living out your faith in the locker room? I think for me, that's why I experience sometimes most of the uh, negative negativity around that. So just inter interested to hear your experiences. Yeah, um, some people are all in. Like, you know, we got we obviously we have chapel and stuff. You know, some people are all in. Like, yo, let's go, right? Some people are like, nah, chill out, man. I ain't, I ain't with all that. So, so there's always going to be those people. And there was a guy, he, uh, he's mentoring me right now. And he said, Chris, I want you to be, you know, I want you to spread faith in the minor leagues, right? So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask somebody, right? I'm going to say, hey, man, do you, you know Jesus or you want to? If the answer is yes, I'm going I'm to dive into it, right? But if it's no, I'm not going to try to force nothing on nobody because that's how they like, oh, I ain't never doing that now. You know what I'm saying? So, so you don't really want to throw you don't want to throw a brick of religion on somebody. You want to place it like like a blanket on them. You know what I mean? So if they want it, they can take it. If not, then hey, I ain't gonna be that person to make you you turn away forever. What about your speaking engagements? Speaking engagements. Okay. What do you mean? What What about them? Like, okay. When you said about the future, you mm -hmm. said baseball or speaking. So what about your speaking? Oh, yeah. So I've been doing speaking engagements where I've been speaking to, you know, youth in churches, um, mainly mainly youth. But uh, what I what I do is I, I ask everybody. The first thing I'll do is I'll ask everybody to stand up and give somebody a hug that looks different than them. And I say, why are you at it? Tell them you love them, too, because I, I truly believe I said it at the MLK. Well, let's just do that right now. Let's go right now. Yeah, let's do it right here. Then let's do it right here. Yeah. We can do it right here. Someone who doesn't look like you. Here we go. <laughs> Dare.
love you. Thank you. Good people, guys. Good people. Love you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Man. Love you too, man. Love you, brother. Love you too, bro. That's good stuff right there. Yeah, you try to come down to Texas and get all brand new. Oh, let's go ahead and do it. We, we need some hugs down here too. No doubt. No doubt. But um, yeah, so that's that's what I'll do. And the reason why I do that, I think that Dylan Roof, the person that murdered my mother, I think that he has such a such a negative mind when it came to black people. Like we were so bad that that uh, I feel like if one person would have said, hey, man, of a different color, somebody that looked like me or you, somebody would have said, hey, man, I love you. Maybe that would have shocked them like, whoa, man, I'm supposed to hate you and you say you love me, man. You know what I mean? Like, so so I, I do this hoping that I change one person's mind. Hey, Chris. Question about, uh, you talked about your, your siblings and the support uh, that you were able to give them. What about your friend who you invested with? What type of support are they getting? Because a lot of times in the black community, we have those friends who are like brothers, like sisters to us. Yeah. And once a tragedy happens in the family, they are affected as well. So my question is, what are they, uh, support are they getting? Because I'm sure that they were affected as well. Yeah, they definitely were. Um, my friend, he's actually a white guy, the one that I that I invest into the business with. We play ball together. He's a he's a white he's a white dude. He thinks he's black, you, but he's a <laughs> he's a white dude. But um, nah, we're we're, we're we're real cool, man. But uh, yeah, no, it's definitely you see that when you when something happens to you, your best friends or something, something will change. Stuff stuff is gonna change in their life as well. You know, uh, one of my best friends, Richard. You know, he, he's one of my best friends growing up. We played ball together and all that stuff. And when it happened to me, he was so shook because he said, you know what, Chris, it could have happened to any of us. He was like, we all go to a, a predominantly black church. He was like, it could have happened to any of our churches, man. So, so I definitely seen it changing in him. Okay. Um, you mentioned so investing in the business. So I was excited to hear you're thinking about entrepreneurial endeavors because I do a lot of small business development. And I'm wondering how you're thinking about, like, do you feel prepared for kind of what comes next in terms of your finances and how you think about your financial capital and how you want to create impact in your community yeah. and what kind of resources would be helpful to you to have? Well, this is this is great. This is a great question because um, this me and my uncle were actually talking about this. He's a business owner, right? He owns a, He owns a brace company. You know, the stuff, you know, the braces like my man right here is wearing. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to put you on blast, man. <laughs> but uh, no, he, he, he creates braces, right? And he does really well for himself. And we had breakfast the other morning and, and we're sitting down. And he's telling me, he's like, yo, have you heard about that Bitcoin thing? You know, he's, we're talking about all this other stuff. We're talking about the stock market. But then I realized he's like, you know what? Not too many brothers sit down and talk about stuff like this. He was like, a lot of brothers will sit down and talk about the new Jays that are coming out, right? We, you know, a new Jays coming out next month. And we like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but a lot of times we don't sit down and talk about the things that can actually impact our lives in, in a major way. You kind of touched on it a little bit, but I wanted to, to kind of expound on how you got through this traumatic event and how you see race relations in the South and how your faith kind of helped that. Because I, I don't know if I can go through this and immediately turn back to my faith. Yeah. Um, well, I feel like my father has been an alcoholic my whole life. So it was really only, only my mother that was, that was with me. So when she passed, I knew that she, she looked to the Lord for so much. 
that uh, she, she shared that with me. So I'm like, okay, so if my mom used to do it, maybe I should do it. So I immediately fell right into the Lord, right? So some, some people don't have that luxury of, of uh, growing up in the church the way I did. So it might be tougher for some other people, but it, for me it was easy because I knew that, you know, my mom loved the Lord so much. So when I had nobody else, I knew I could turn to him. Hmm. All right, I've been told that that was the last question. So let's give our panel and our podcast. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate it, Thank you for listening to today's show. For show notes and to get goodies to all of the links from the show, visit a tribe called yes.com. That's a tribe called yes.com. And I have one ask for you. If you like the show, give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher. It would really help us to spread the gospel of the tribe. And finally, special thanks to Samantha Skinner and Jacob Weiss, our co-producers and partners in crime for serving up incredible episodes every single week from the University of Texas. Now go out there this week, slay some dragons, and keep saying yes. Yes.